Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. Welcome in, listeners. As always, we're talking everything college hoops, and this particular moment, we're talking a little NBA draft for those college hoop players that we followed and invested in all season. Thanks to Blog Talk Radio for powering us up and getting us in your earbuds and speakers. Thanks for Bell Jar for bringing us in and out. Love that got to race with Bell Jar in the past season. Share some time with him out on the race course. That was really cool connecting with the lead singer, author of our, our lead in and lead out music. Thanks for tuning in, carving out some time. You could have been anywhere else on the dial, but you chose to be here with us, Mike and Gus, on the Screen to Screener College Basketball Podcast, and we appreciate that. Ah, that's so kind of you guys. So if you're a loyal listener, you heard that we brought you through picks 30 to 15 in the upcoming Thursday's uh, 2018 NBA draft. Right now, we're going to bring you right up the lottery. We're going to start with pick 14 and go all the way up. So we're going reverse order. We're going to build a little drama. If you read our big board over at RandallRant.com, you know who we have going first. And we mentioned that podcast. We have De- DeAndre Ayton. Suns are going to take Ayton. They've gone too big on the fours a couple of drafts back, whether it be with a, a, with a Josh Jackson from Kansas. And, and we think that they're just going to go big, and we think that they're going to go Ayton. So that makes perfect sense to us. Uh, just a couple of mentionables before we get into the rundown. Thank you so much for tuning in during the offseason. We know that it's not college basketball season. We know that this is one of your stops that you hit up to get your college basketball fix during the offseason. So thank you for keeping us in your Rolodex. Thank you for keeping us in your rotation. Thank you for keeping us in our podcast queue. Totally appreciative. A couple of things. Number one, how about we uh, give the podcast to follow on Twitter. And we're trying to give you guys a couple of uh, NBA draft thoughts or opinions. We're at SDS Podcast. Efficiency of keystrokes, of course. If you'd like to interact with the podcast via Gmail, and that's your mode of communication, you want to let us know if uh, we should be talking about a certain player, a certain team, maybe talking about a certain concept, maybe talking about a certain topic, please hit us up there. SDSPodcast at gmail.com. Love to interact with you guys that way. And if you don't follow Mike, Mike is an absolute riot. He's educational, entertaining, and insightful all in one felt swoop. He is at Randall Rant on Twitter. Please give him a follow. And leading up to the NBA draft, listen, guys, we're trying to give you a couple of cool previews on our YouTube channel. So hit up YouTube, type in Screen the Screener, College Basketball Podcast. Our channel will pop up. We'll have uh, almost 30 previews there of, of people that we think might go in the first or second round. You know, consume those as you see fit. Uh, we'd love to hit for you guys to hit the subscribe button on that as well. That'd be amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. I think that's all the particulars we need to get out of the way. So let's just get right into the top half of the first round of the 2000 N- 2018 NBA draft. What do you say, guys? We're going to start with the Nuggets. And we want to say girls, too, in case we have some girls listening in the background, whether you're riding around with your dads in the back. Or, or maybe you're just, you know, maybe you're just a, a, a hooper girl, just like my little daughter. So girls, we don't want to exclude you at all. So we're going to start with the Nuggets. Nuggets just missed out on the playoffs last day of the season and then got thrown into the lottery and then got the predictable 14th pick. So the Nuggets have some interesting pieces in place with Nurkic. Nurkic uh, unbelievable do everything big and shoot it, can pass it. Really skilled. I, I think what, you know, Arvidas Sabonis was supposed to be if he came over in his prime. That type of player, if that makes sense to everybody, uh, those of you that are old school, we know. I know we're all thinking of like, oh, Sabonis from uh, from from Gonzaga, right? No, no, no. His dad, his dad was uh, six, uh, was seven two, seven three, 
unbelievably gifted passer and ball handler and came over to the NBA and the Portland Trailblazers at the tail end of his career and was limited by injuries and foot problems. And we didn't get to see the true Sabonis. But I think Nurkic is, is really that for the, for the Nuggets. Uh, they have Gary Harris. So they do have some pieces. Where do they go here at pick 14? I think they go uh, Shea Gilders, Gilders Alexander. I think they go Kentucky. I think they go the, the combo guard, maybe point guard, whatever you might want to call him. Uh, label him, but he's a backcourt wing player. Great length, 6'6", plus wingspan, obviously. A little slight in frame. He's super herbal. He can play both sides of the ball for you. Uh, he played a ton of minutes for Coach Cal. Coach Cal always invests in his freshmen and allows him to play a ton of minutes. Uh, it didn't. It, it was only in the second half of the season that Gilders Alexander like logged that many minutes for Cal. And during the final 20 games, he averaged 19 points, five rebounds, 6.7 assists, while getting to the foul line seven and a half times a contest. He shot the well, shot the ball well the entire season. His true shooting percentage is on par with like Sexton or Trey Young and Devontae Graham. So he can shoot the ball well enough. I think the big question with Gilders Alexander, is his speed of play NBA ready? Because he plays at his own pace, plays a little herky-jerky, doesn't have that quick burst, is his game NBA ready? I mean, the, the first couple of guys that you think of automatically are Kyle Anderson from uh, UCLA. You know, slow-mo, like, he plays at his own pace and has been really effective and, you know, actually started games for the, the Spurs this past year. So it, I think you don't need that super quick burst if you are a change-of-pace player, but you play at your own pace and you pick the changes. And I think SGA is just that player. I think he plays the plays the game at his own pace, but he then he picks the change of pace. So he's always going to have you. He's like Jamie Moyer, right? Jamie Moyer couldn't throw the ball 90 miles an hour. He threw it 85 tops, but his changeup was at like 75. So he had that differentia- differentiation of 10 miles per hour from his changeup to his fastball. Just the fact that his fastball, you know, hit, hit 83 tops. So I liken him to uh, the, the great pitcher that pitched, I don't know, until he was like 45 maybe. So what does he do on the offensive end that's really intriguing? He can shoot it. Uh, he has a near set, uh, seven-foot uh, wingspan. He can get in the, uh, the passing lanes defensively. Does have athletic gifts that allow him to positions defensively. Does he have the foot speed to, to cover quick ones? Does he have the bulk to ki- cover you know bulky threes or bulky fours if he gets switched on to? That's a remain to be seen. You know he's going to put on a little weight, I'm sure. He can shoot it off the catch, and he did improve from long distance shooting at almost 40% from three-point range. I really like this fit with the Nuggets. Throw him in the backcourt with a Nugget. Uh, throw him in the backcourt with, with Gary Harris, and I think that makes sense in a three-guard rotation. Plus, they have Nurkic. So they have a whole bunch of like players that are not afraid to pass the ball. Let's go up to the Clips, right? The Clips have two picks at 12 and 13, so I guess we'll just package these together. I think this is where Big Bob Williams goes. Robert Williams from Texas A&M. You know, Enigma, uh, athletic talent, that kind of had like a repeat year during his sophomore season when he just decided to return for the Aggies. You know, he averaged almost a a double-double again, but at the same time, there was nothing that really popped off the screen at you. He averaged just over 10 points, just over nine boards, and and, and just over two and a half blocks per game. And those numbers are really similar to what he averaged his freshman year. And you wonder, did did the return for his sophomore year 
pull like an Ivan Rab, where Rab from Cal was really impactful his freshman year, decided to come back for his sophomore year, and then went from like being like a borderline lottery pick to a second round pick and really lost out on some guaranteed money. We, f- we still see uh, Robert Williams being in the lottery. We still him- see him being a first round pick. So no harm, no foul. Maybe his decision making improved during his second year at Texas A&M. But you take a look at his off-court stuff, and he's one of those guys that Texas A&M got suspended during the year for some off-court activity. So you wonder about his off-court and, and, and I don't know, just overall life decision-making. Is that going to really improve itself in L.A.? I, I, I'm not sure, but I think the Clips grab Williams or grab a big here, and I think he's the big that they grab. So let's go with the Clippers grabbing Robert Williams at number 13. Number 12, I, I think this is where one of my surprises come, come, comes into play. And I'm going to say they're going to pick hometown point guard, Aaron Holiday from UCLA. A little bit undersized, can shoot the heck out of it, averaged uh, 20 points, uh, almost four boards, almost six assists, and he had solid shooting numbers across the board with a massive shoot, with a massive usage rate. Over his last 13 games for UCLA, he only sat out 13 total minutes. He absolutely exploded over his last seven games, averaging over 25 points a game and carrying them to the playing game in the NCAA tournament. Was that game against St. Bonaventure a little bit of a throwaway game for him? Yes, but if you look at the last seven games leading up to that, he was an absolute monster. And the thing I really like about Holiday is his selflessness. And we talk about this on the podcast as one of the redeeming factors, one of the characteristics that we like about players, whether it be in the college game or then moving on to the pro game. You know, when when Lonzo was there, guess guess who came off the bench? It was Holiday because he thought that was best for the team. When Lonzo left, guess who took over the majority of the ball handling ball handling responsibilities. Yeah, that was it. That was Holiday. So, he can do anything that you want for your team to contribute to winning. I love him as majority ball handler. He can handle the ball and st- initiate your offense. I also love him playing off the ball as a shooter because he is such a great three-point shooter. He connected on 41% of his threes on over 400 ap- attempts during his entire co- collegiate career. I mean, that's not a small sample size. That's just fact. The dude can shoot it and shoot it really well. I think that's no mistake. The dude is going to shoot it. And if we're going to put like Trey Young up into the top 10 and we're going to put Colin Sexton up into the top 10, I think it's silly not to have Aaron Holiday within shouting distance of those two talented guards because Holiday, number one, has a little bit more experience than Sexton and, and Young. And he also has showed diversity on how he's going to fit into a team construct, whether it be coming off the bench or being a lead guard. So I think if you're going to include Sexton and, and Trey Young up in your top 10 of your of your mock draft and you don't include Aaron Holiday, I think it's a mistake. I even have Holiday above, above uh, Gilgeous Alexander, and I love Gilgeous Alexander as a player. I think he's going to be uh, an NBA starter, and I think he's going to be an NBA contributor on a winning playoff team. But I think Holiday could do the exact same thing. And guess what? His role might morph and change throughout his career. He might be a starter. He might come off the bench. He might be a point guard. He might be play off the ball. I can see him doing a ton of things, and I can see the Clippers finding a role for Holiday in any one of those roles that we just mentioned. Holiday and Bob Williams for the Clippers at 12 and 13. Let's move on to the Hornets, right? You know, Jordan's running the show over there. They have a new coach in Clifford. The word on the street is they're shopping Kemba. You know what they're going to do? They're just going to take the Kemba copy. They're going to take Colin Sexton. And here's why they're going to take Colin Sexton. When it comes, push comes to shove and their pick is on the board and they have to hand in their card and it has to go to the commissioner and he's going to make the pick on national TV. You know what's going to happen? 
Jordan's going to say this guy almost won a game three on five in the college game this past year and almost won the game single-handedly. I love this guy's competitiveness. I love this guy's approach to the game. I love his mentality. I want this guy in my team. Is he kind of a copycat of a skill set that I already have on the team in Kemba? Yes, of course it is. Will, do you think Jordan and Sexton will get along swimmingly? Yeah, absolutely. Those two guys are going to see eye to eye. So if those guys had a space to share in the interview room, I don't think there's any chance that the Hornets pass up on Sexton and Sexton goes anywhere beyond pick 11 in this NBA draft. And Sexton does a lot of things. He's got swagger. He doesn't care. He wants to win. He's got an attitude. You know, when he played three on five with foul trouble, he scored 40 points. He grabbed six rebounds. He dished out five assists. And he shot four of seven from three-point range. He just put Alabama back on the basketball map this year. Lots of times, those program-changing athletes do translate to the NBA. And Colin Sexton was a program-changing athlete for the Crimson Tide this past year in basketball. So give me Sexton, number number, uh, number 11 to the Hornets. Let's scoot up to the 76ers, and the 76ers uh, are going to pick at number 10. And the 76ers front office that we mentioned on the previous podcast, a little bit upheaval. Uh, Brent Brown seems to be one of the major decision makers that are going to be in the draft room, uh, the head coach. And I think they'll lean on a couple of their scouts as well. And I think they're going to go with a safe pick here. I don't think they're going to try to get like too creative or too out of the box or uh, try to do too much with this pick. I think they're just going to take Wendell Carter. I think Wendell Carter is a little bit undervalued at 10. I could see him going at 6, 7, maybe even at 5. But if Wendell Carter's on the board for the 76ers, I think they take him. I think he's the perfect complement to Embiid. If Embiid gets in any foul trouble or has injury trouble, knock on wood there, as you heard, because of his injury situation in the past, wouldn't it be nice to plug in a player like Carter into that post position and have that 76er offense kind of not miss a beat and at least run smoothly with Ben Simmons maybe getting a little bit more responsibility if Embiid is out? I think this pick makes perfect sense, and I think Carter does a lot of things that the 76ers value anyway, even though it might not be, you know, like a really sexy pick. Number one, all he did was be efficient. He shot 56% from the field. He only played 27 minutes a game. He blocked a ton of shots. His plus-minus metric led the entire ACC. It's ahead of Bagley, it's ahead of Jerome Robinson, it's ahead of every talented player in the ACC. He had the biggest plus-minus impact in the box score. And third, you know what? He's super smart. He's super intelligent. Wouldn't it be beneficial, if, since you have such a young team, think of uh, Fultz, one and done. Think of Simmons, one and done. Think of Embiid, one and done. Think, Wouldn't it be nice to have another one and done that has an actual high game IQ and a high like outside of basketball IQ like a guy like Wendell Carter like we mentioned on the podcast previously he turned down Harvard as his second choice to go to Duke and his and his IQ translates to both the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball and Carter can shoot the ball a little bit better than you think so I love the pick at Carter of, of Carter at 10 for the 76ers just for some Embiid insurance in uh, in case you know injury occurs again like it's happened in his past It would be nice to plug in Carter into that offense and have the 76ers still be in playoff mode and not totally tank the season. Let's go up to the Knicks. Hometown Knicks, number nine. You know who they're going to take? I think they're going to take Mikael Bridges from Villanova. As much as the hometown Sixers would love to see Mikael fall to 10 and they could take him and then it would be like a homecoming of sorts, 
I think that the Knicks will snag him, and I think the Knicks will put him out on the wing and just let him find his role. I think he's a very similar pick to Frank Nidalekina, where they're not going to expect too much of him uh, offensively, but they are going to plug him in and play him. If we just look at the current NBA construct and the success that Boston had with Brown and Tatum on the wing, and we look at just like the other, the valuable commodity that versatile wings that can guard, defend, and dribble and shoot. Doesn't, doesn't Bridges kind of fill that role for the Knicks? And don't they just want to have that type of player next to Porzingis when they're developing? So Porzingis and he can go in a pick and roll. Porzingis can kick it out, out to Bridges, uh, standstill three from the post. And maybe, you know, reverse that. Maybe they get Bridges on the short corner or on the elbow, and he kicks it out to KP, KP for three. That makes sense. And I think they just want to get smart players. Bridges does a lot of things on both sides of the floor that are really smart. He's not going to blow you away with his athleticism, but he's just so well-schooled. And we know that these Villanova players do bring a lot to the table in the NBA game and are not going to get shorted on their effort. So you know that Bridges is going to bring effort. And really, if you bring effort in MSG, what else do you want? Like, everybody's going to applaud effort in Madison Square Garden every night, and that's what Bridges is going to do. Let's go up to one of the most intriguing picks in this draft, which is the Cavs at number eight right? Is LeBron going? Is he staying? Is he going to sign? Is he going to go somewhere else? What do the Cavs do with this eighth pick to kind of entice him to stay? You know what they do? They pick like the Mike Randall nemesis in Michael Porter Jr. from Missouri. The 6'10 forward with a seven foot wingspan and a nine foot standing reach who can play four, five, maybe even the three, can shoot it from anywhere, but has some injury trouble and just some uncertainty following him, they take perhaps the player that could have went number one, number two, or number three in this draft at number eight and say, hey, we got your running mate. We're going to get Porter healthy. We're going to let Porter work with your trainer, LeBron, who keeps you entirely healthy and let you play 82 games this past year. We're going to plug him into your system. We're going to get him healthy. And he's going to be your running mate. Imagine that line if we can have Love, Porter, and LeBron. You know, talk about positionless basketball. That sounds about right in the current NBA. You can have Porter and Love in each corner, have LeBron at the top, and have a couple of shooters and slashers on the wing. That works. That sounds like it could compete for an NBA title again. That seems like it's okay. And plus, if Porter's ceiling is what he's talking about, I'd love to hear Mike Randall's opinion on this. That he's like the next Paul George or a combination of like uh, Giannis and, and, and I don't know, uh, Embiid. Like, give me a break. Like, just settle down, kid. You played 53 minutes, as Mike Randall likes to say, in the college game. And you're going to compare yourself to first team and second team all NBA players who have done it year after year? Pump the brakes, man. Pump the brakes. Cavs would be ecstatic to get him here. And again, I think the sell of plugging him in with LeBron's medical staff, since LeBron just played 82 games and a full playoff round into the championship uh, finals. Imagine that. Hey, he's going to be your running mate. Can you hook this guy up? Show him how to be great? And if Porter reaches that ceiling, I mean, Porter could be a, a 22, 24 points per game scorer in the NBA alongside LeBron. Man, that'd be impressive. So give me Porter to the Cavs at number eight. I think that'd be really intriguing. And again, Porter can go two. He could go 12 to the Clippers if he's strength. He can go 22. Think of like the Bulls at 22 with Porter's on the board there. They're going to nab him. So Porter, I think, has the most volatility of any player in this draft 
just to, due to his injury fog and intrigue because nothing's known. Nothing's known about what he can do because of what he's done in the past, like, how about 18 months? Let's go up to the Bulls at seven. And I think this one's a little bit different for everybody. I got Miles Bridges for Michigan State here. The reason I got Miles Bridges here for Michigan State going to the Bulls, I, I know that later on I got uh, Kade Bates Diop going to the Bulls at 22. So, they, you know, maybe you think that those are like, uh, stack on picks or, or, or picks that are just going to be too synonymous with one another. I don't think so. I think Kade Bates Diop can play uh, a little bit of four, maybe even a little bit of five in small ball. And I think Bridges is one of those like talented wings that we talked about, like Macal Bridges. I, I, again, I don't mean to keep harping on the two wings from the Celtics, but if we take a look at Brown and Tatum and the success that they've had as first and second year players dragging the Celtics to the conference finals against LeBron and the Cavs, why wouldn't you want to have the carbon copy or the best example of those two players on your draft board very highly? And I think that's where Miles Bridges falls. He can do a ton of stuff. Love what Miles Bridges can do. Number one, he's not going to get pushed around. Dude, 6'6", 220, 225. He's done it year after year. We talked about on our YouTube video. You remember Marcus Page from North Carolina? He had this unbelievable, brilliant uh, sophomore year. And then he came back as like a first-team All-America preseason player of the year type player and just totally fell off the cliff. And you, and you saw the deficiencies in his game when he had more attention, you know, point in his direction. Um, we also talked about how Doug McDermott had the same situation. He came back and even he was transferring conferences as going to, from, you know, the Valley and the Horizon over to the Big East. Not only did he like blow up, but he put up bigger numbers and was player of the year. And even with all that attention on him and Miles Bridges came back and, you know, everybody had him as, as player of the year, first team All-America. We did as well at Screen to Screen. We, we thought he was going to do big things. You know what he did? He just did what he did the pre year previous with increased shooting numbers and increased usage numbers. Was there this giant jump? Stat-wise, no, but was there a consistency? And we know what we're kind of going to get here with with Bridges. Yes, yeah, there's consistency. There's buy-in. Like we know, there's no buyer beware with Bridges. We know what we're getting. So I, I really like Bridges playing next to Markkinen. I think that's kind of appealing. And then if you just hit the rewind button a little bit for for Coach Hoiberg, let's hit the rewind button. Maybe six years when he was at I, uh, uh, and he had Mel Melvin Ijim. He led the conference in I think scoring and rebounding one year, or maybe just led the conference in rebounding, but then averaged, you know, 18 points a game or was in that neighborhood. And I can see Coach Hoiberg putting Bridges in a similar position of success that he had Ijim in while he was in college. And I can see him just letting him go bananas and giving him a little bit of freedom next to marketing. And couldn't you see like an inverted offense situation where they very similar, they give Bridges the ball in the post and then he kicks out to marketing? That, that'd be really interesting. So I think there's something to work with there. And I really like the Bulls taking Bridges at seven. At number six, the Orlando Magic. Now we talked about with the Magic how they have the old Bucks regime in there with John Hammond as the GM and they really value uh, versatility, length, and really high IQ players. Trey Young doesn't fit that profile at all as far as, you know, length and diversity. We know we're getting Trey Young. Getting a point guard, getting a guy that can shoot it, really crafty on the pass, not really long. But you know what they do? They're going to take Trey Young here because their roster screams for a ball handler and a lead guard. I don't know how they pass up on Trey Young if he's still there at six, just because of their roster limitations at that position. And can't you see Trey Young just tossing a whole bunch of alley-oops to Aaron Gordon? Can't, can't, can't you just see that happening? Can't you see them running a pick and roll or, or, or Trey getting out on, on the break and maybe doing that crossover dribble that he's really crafty with and then just throwing up that little floater to Aaron Gordon and Aaron Gordon like jumping to the moon and grabbing it? 
I can see that. That totally works. I think with the NBA space, I think Trey Young is going to work wonders. I think his range is going to be unlimited. He's going to take those Steph Curry type 30 footers and going to have the green light for that. Will it be as green as it was at Oklahoma? Maybe not. I do think that the Magic roster really needs a point guard, and I don't think there's any way they pass up on Trey Young. So give me Trey Young to the Magic at six. And let's just talk about Trey Young for two seconds because, he, again, he's one of the most polarizing players in this draft, along with Michael Porter and, and, and Luka and Aiton. And now that we're getting into the, you know, the meat of the top of this draft, you know, we're talking about the guys that everybody knows about, right? But here, here's, our, here's our opinion on Trey Young. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to make shots. He's going to be good. He's going to score a lot of points. He's going to turn the ball over a whole bunch his, his first year? Yeah. Is he going to hit the rookie wall probably around game 60? Yep, he sure will. Will he have prolonged, sustained success in the NBA due to his skill set and his unique craftiness with the ball? Absolutely. There is no doubt that Trey Young is going to find success in the NBA, whether it be with the Magic or with the next team, if the Magic happens to give up on him as a lead guard as a lead guard, and they don't like the way that he creates offense and initiates their offense. And one of the one of the comps that we've, we mentioned on our YouTube player profile video was, maybe he's not Steph Curry, but you know who he's going to be? He's going to be Mark Price. He's going to make every open shot. He's going to get the ball to the right positions, to, to Doherty or to Hot Rod Williams, like Mark Price did, or Larry Nance, for that matter, or Elo. Like he, he, that's what Young is going to do for the Magic. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to score a whole bunch of points. And you're going to look up mid-year and be like, oh, yeah, wow, Trey Young went there? Man, why didn't they take him at two? Why didn't they take him at three? I think you're going to have that conversation with yourself in the shower after you uh, watch an NBA game on TNT or ESPN and you watch Trey Young do some pretty amazing things as a magician for the Magic. We think that makes sense. Let's scoot up to the Mavs at number five. And I think at number five, I think it's pretty simple for the Mavs. I think they're just going to take Mo Bamba. I think they're going to stay in-state. Very similar to the Jerome Robinson situation with the Celtics and BC. I think Dallas takes uh, Bamba from Texas, and I don't think they think twice about it. We saw that Bamba is a really unbelievably unique, measurable skill set combination. Somebody like Mo Bamba is only going to show up on your big board like every 10 or 20 years. Aiton is also a physical freak, so is Jackson, but Bamba's intrigue and potential is just too intriguing to pass up at five. I don't know how they I don't know how they don't pick Bamba here. I think they pair him with Dennis Smith, let them run a whole bunch of pick and rolls. Bamba can start the offense on a defensive rebound and a kickout. He's going to be a defensive difference maker. I can see him playing 20 minutes right away in an NBA game and having impact on the defensive end, getting a couple of offensive rebounds and then throwing down a lob and then boom, you look up at his box score on the first night of his career. And he has eight points, six rebounds, three blocks. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, Bamba's going to work in the NBA, huh? That's how it's going to go with him. And then it's going to extrapolate out from there. And I don't think it's going to get, I don't think it's going to go anywhere else but up. And if Bamba can actually shoot it a little bit, I mean, this is where his potential just absolutely skyrockets. It skyrockets into the Bagley category, into the Aiden category, into the Luka category. It, it skyrockets into that territory where he's an he's an NBA All Star. He's a difference maker and can win games by himself and makes difference makes a difference in the playoffs. So if he can shoot the ball a little bit with range, then we're talking about something. So Mavericks, call Drew Hanlon or whoever you need to hire. You know you 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 know the owner's got the money in his pockets to do that. Keep him on staff and make Mo Bamba and Dennis Smith for that matter shoot the ball better from three 
and get them the instruction that they need. So I can see the Mavericks going Bamba at five. All right, how about the Grizz at four? And this is like one of the more interesting picks because, you know, they've been talking about shopping this pick, so on and so on. I think this is where Jaron Jackson Jr. falls from Michigan State, right? Uh, the seven-footer with the 7'5-plus wingspan, really unique skill set. Really interesting because he can handle a little bit. He can shoot it a little bit. He had an unbelievable impact on the defensive end in only limited minutes. If we extrapolate his numbers out over 40 minutes, Jackson's numbers would be like 20 points a game, 10 plus rebounds a game. You know, obviously his block numbers would go through the roof. Um, So I think that he is like the modern NBA five, even more so than Bamba. Bamba is a little bit limited laterally and doesn't have the bulk and girth that Jackson has or the shot diversity that Jackson has, whether it be in the post or from deep. Jackson shot at 40% from three during his lone year as a Spartan. And, you know, that's like better than Lonnie Walker. That's better than Colin Sexton. It's better than Chandra Hutchinson. That's better than Kevin Knox. If we're going to throw some names around from, you know, three-point percentages. So the fact that this guy can, you know, even though it's a little bit of a knuckleball set shot, it does go in. But if it goes in, why are we messing with it at 40%? So NBA GMs, I think, have an easy decision here if you're a Grizzly if you're a Grizzly fan. Just take Jaron Jackson. He's the best player available on the board. And yes, can you play him with Gasol? Absolutely. Will Conley love playing with him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, will Dylan Brooks appreciate him on a pick and roll and missing maybe, a, you know, an off-balance jumper that he takes for an offensive rebound? Yeah, absolutely. I think Jaron Jackson is going to be a little bit slower to develop than maybe even Bamba, but I think in the long run, we're looking at a difference maker player either at the four or the five that can influence the game on both floor, uh, both sides of the floor, offensively and defensively. And the intriguing thing about Jackson on the defensive end is his lateral quickness. He showed some decent lateral quickness where it seems like maybe he could be decent in a switchable situation, especially in the NBA heavy pick and roll environment. All right, and let's go to number three with the Hawks. And you know what? This is where Luca's going to go. And a whole bunch of other podcasts will talk about Luca a little bit. And, you know, we'll, we'll dive in a tiny bit. But I think Luca fits the mold that we talked about with the Celtic forwards with both Brown and Tatum and just that diverse type of wing that can handle, can create, can bang a three. He can he can break you down off the dribble. He has a pull-up game. He's got a mid-range game. He's not going to get trapped. He's shown some diversity. He can guard a touch on the perimeter. He's not totally limited there. Could he get exposed? Could he get headhunted? One of the things that you know LeBron did a whole bunch of times to perfection in the playoffs? Sure, but we're talking about LeBron James and we're talking about the playoffs. I don't know if that's where the Hawks are going to be this season. So if you're the Hawks, you just might want to bring him in, give him some freedom to run your offense. Okay, what is his ceiling? What can he actually do? What can he accomplish? Let's let him, let's plug him in the starting lineup, just like they did with Tatum from day one, and let him do his thing. Could he partner nicely with John Collins? Sure. Could he partner nicely with Kevin Knox, who would be an excellent complement to Luka uh, on the wing that we have the Hawks taking in, in uh, later on in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. I think that partnership works great. Luca could go one, two, three, four, or five. I think the Mavs pray that he drops to five. But we're going to put him at number three with the Hawks. That leaves number two for the Kings. And, you know, the Kings have been rumored to be interested in, in, in Porter and, and have brought a couple people in. But I think Bagley goes here. I think that makes perfect sense. I think you can argue Bagley for number one. I think it wouldn't be crazy if... 
you take him over Aiden just because he's so refined offensively. He's a first team All America. He was a player of the year in the conference. He's six eleven. He's got a seven foot wingspan. His his jump, his initial jump, is super quick. His, his second and third jumps are unbelievable, especially on the offensive end. He's a crafty lefty. He's really creative off the bounce, taking it to the rim. He's not always going to slam it down on you. He can use a little creativity around the rim with either hand. You really like that part about him. So he's going to rebound the ball. He's going to shoot the ball decently from the mid range. If Bagley can shoot the ball. At a decent rate, like he showed at Duke, from three, the NBA three, not the college three, he's going to average 20 points a game. Lock it up, plain and simple, done deal. He could average 20 points a game his his rookie year. The thing I'm worried about is the 64% percentage from the line. That number scares me that maybe he's not going to be able to shoot it great from three right away. Just from watching the game and watching game film and breaking down his jump shot, it looks smooth. It doesn't look like there's a hitch in it. It looks like there was some repetition and some stretched out length. It looks like he's going to be bang it. He's going to be able to bang it from three. So I really like Bagley going here to the Kings. And, and finally, the Kings, this would, this would fit into their mold that they followed last season with their draft where they just took players from big programs that were really successful. Bagley's from a big program, was really successful. First team All-America, so on and so on. And just another thing about Bagley that you might not hear on any other podcast I think his second and third jumps are Dennis Rodman-like. I think that's how quick and how active he is off the floor and how athletic he is in that particular skill set. So, sure, can he shoot it? Can he score around the basket? Yeah, absolutely. Is he a great rebounder? Yes. Or is his passing a little suspect? Yeah. Is his man-to-man defense principles probably suspect? Yeah, that's why they went zone. Makes sense. So you're worried about those two areas with... With Bagley, yeah, I would be too. But I think there's some special athletic things that he brings to the table that nobody else in this draft can. And I think that second and third jump are really special. Am I calling for him to lead the league in rebounding? Maybe not. But I can see him being a double-digit rebounder maybe year two or year three. That makes sense because of that unbelievable dexterity that he shows with his body control. I think that I think that, that, that works. And by the way, thank goodness the Kings are going to get a stud. Isn't that nice? I kind of like the Kings getting a stud. And then that brings us to our number one pick, DeAndre Aiden. Suns are going to take Aiden at one. I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, again, like we mentioned, they went heavy with fours with Bender and um, uh, the forward from Washington. Uh, they got Josh Jackson from Kansas. So I think that makes sense for the Suns just to go big and take like the athletic freak that is one of the most gifted and you know personally just like he's super cut up and you know shredded uh, athletic marvel. You know, he, he, he looks like a seven-foot LeBron James. That's what he looks like. He can shoot a little bit. He can pass out of double teams. Were his defensive numbers maybe a little limited due to the pack line defense and Aiton playing the four, maybe playing on the perimeter a little bit more than he needed to with Ristic? Yeah, sure, that makes sense. If you're going to draft a guy that's going to average 20 and 10 in college in the Pac-12, I'm good with that. Yeah, that makes sense. And throw into the throw into the equation that Aiton had to deal with an FBI fog. He also had to deal with a, a, another allegation right around tournament time, uh, where his coach was named and he was named 
in an ESPN article, basically a money grab situation that, you know, again, these are allegations not proven to be true, but the fact that your name's out there, that that static is not easy to deal with. So I think once DeAndre Ayton gets to the NBA game and gets to his first summer league game with the Suns, he's just going to breathe a sigh of relief and just be like, all right, I'm just going to do my thing now. I'm going to get offensive rebounds and slam it back on people. I'm going to hit my 17-footer. And I'm going to block a couple shots at the rim. And I'm going to grab double-digit rebounds. That's what I'm going to do. And guess what I'm going to do, Suns? I'm going to do that every night. Weirdly, I think the Suns might actually be transforming themselves into a logical, like, fringe playoff team uh, now that they take Aiden. I think Aiden is that type of game-changing player. So, listeners, there you go. There's your rundown. Everybody okay with that? I think that sounds about right. So just to review, we went Nuggets 14. We went uh, Gilders Alexander. The Clips with their double pick, we went Aaron Holiday, UCLA, and Robert Williams for Texas A&M. So they went big and small. Hornets really like Sexton because of his mentality. 76ers grab Wendell Carter for some Embiid insurance. The Knicks go, uh, Macal Bridges go with the safe pick, the smart pick. Cavs at number eight take Michael Porter Jr. Maybe that's some impetus for LeBron to stay, and maybe they can hook each other uh, maybe they can hook Porter up with LeBron's uh, medical team to get him all the way healthy. Bulls go with Miles Bridges from Michigan State at 7 to play a little lower American and bouncer to keep him safe. And and maybe they play a little inside out there. I really like that mix and that matchup, especially with Co- Coach Hoiberg. Magic definitely take Trey Young, no doubt. Lock that pick up. I think that's an automatic. Uh, Trey Young's going to put up big numbers. He's going to love, he's gonna love throwing, uh, throwing lobs to the dunk champion. I think the Mavs go Mo Bamba. I think the... Grizz are going to go Jaron Jackson. Hawks take Luka. Kings go Bagley. And the Suns take Aiton at one. And you know what, listeners? We just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We've taken you through the first round. If you like what you heard here, go hit the rewind button. Pull up part one of the draft, and we'll take you through picks 15 through 30. A couple guys that didn't make the first round for us. Just missed for me. Uh, Kyrie, just outside the first round. I actually had him at 31. Bruce Brown, Jalen Brunson. I had Brandon McCoy in that mix as well. Akobo, uh, the point guard from France, I think you might find his name in the first round somewhere. He's really unique and kind of sliding up boards in the right direction. I had Jander, uh, Jared Vanderbilt in that area and uh, Landry Schmidt, and then I'll leave the, the the rest of those for maybe another time. You know, Shake Milton's in that mix, of course. We love Shake. Big Shake fans here at the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. So, listeners, enjoy the draft. Again, much like we mentioned on the previous podcast, we invite you into Mike's living room where Mike and I shared our, our first NBA draft in middle school way back in the day. And we took out some A&W cherry soda root beers out of his mini fridge. For real, I think that was the flavor that was in his mini fridge. Pop those. I made a funny face when I drank it. I'm like, who drinks this? And he's like, oh, my dad. And I was like, you know what? I love this environment. This is great. I love that you have A&W cherry soda root beer in your mini fridge and we're watching the NBA draft. Fantastic. We invite you into the living room. Grab an A&W cherry soda root beer out of the mini fridge or whatever your beverage of choice is. Take in all those picks. Enjoy seeing the success that your college basketball players that you've invested time in this past season. And, and you know, just enjoy that handshake moment. Like, that's what they're working towards. They're working towards that first payday and, and becoming professional. So, hope that you guys enjoy that. Whoever you're rooting for, whoever your NBA squad is, or whoever your college squad is, thanks for letting us jump into your NBA draft. And we like that you're in the living room with us and, and sharing some time with us. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Cheers. Salancha. Grazie, grazie.